circumstances, with that pressure, with that little experience of the vehicle and the track, is superstar talent. I mean, that was outrageously good. It's a triumph of form over function. The early efforts at those auto-dimming headlights were utterly disastrous. I just, you know, we, we may never see this again. Welcome to the Collecting Addicts podcast, episode number 33. One of us is on holiday, is sitting in a toilet and has had too many gin and tonics. If you're watching this, you can probably guess who it is. Edward, love it. We've made some errors in the last few weeks. We're not going to correct them now, but just to warn you that coming up, there's going to be an error-strewn show where we apologise for the things we got wrong and we boast about the things that we might have got right. We're not going to do that now. However, we're going to begin... The thorny issue of headlight design. We've been there before, but this time we want to celebrate fancy headlight design, uh, whether they're expensive or not. And also we want to talk about headlight effectiveness, which is arguably one of the most boring subjects we've ever tackled on this podcast. Wouldn't have that. I know. I want to start straight away with Neil Clifford, and I want him to talk me through oh, his views on headlight effectiveness. Well, it's very different to headlight design, isn't it? Because yeah. I can ramble on about the blip-up lights of the Ferrari Berlinetta Boxer, which obviously they are amazing, but shit. <laughs> if we talk about effectiveness, now I'm talking from personal experience, my favourite effectiveness, without doubt, is the new Mercedes G-Wagon. And the reason why I talk about that, A, is the full beam is incredible. You can see a rabbit at like, like two miles away. But it's more than that. It's not, about power. it's not about power. It's about that automated beam control. And A, I want to come on to talk about do we ever trust that? Because we don't. In truth, we don't ever trust it. And your wife is always watching you when the blue light comes on and there's a car coming the other way and she's like, oh, you've got your beam on, you've got your beam on. And you're like, it's automatic. I've got this special switch. That clever. It's frankly quite difficult, particularly in a Volkswagen, more than a Mercedes, to know whether you've actually got that automated beam on because you get, you, you get the blue lights, but then you have to get to the blue light with the A. And once you've found that ability to get to the A, it always is supposed to go off automatically, but you're always incredibly paranoid whether it's actually going to do it and you're going to blind the other guy and he's going to start flashing you. But the G-Wagon, if anyone's got any experience of this, I know Chris probably has, it's got this amazing internal design in the light where the beam actually stays on, but it just shields the car coming the yeah. other way. And you can see these little elements turning themselves off. Dancing and it around. And dances around. And it moves. As, as the car comes towards you, that beam changes its dynamic that you get still get 70% beam. So it's not turning the well, beam off. I think off. it's 72%. It's, <laughs> it's such an amazing little bit of technology that you still can't fully trust. That's the problem with that automated beam. I can't fully trust it, and certainly my wife can't fully trust it because she says, you've got your beam on, when, of course, I say, no, the other guy can't see my beam. So I would vote, without doubt, for the new 
Mercedes G-Wagon automated full beam control? Uh, I can second that. I think the way the way that it seems to be able to do it correctly is a bit like Shazam for me. I don't entirely believe the technology. I think it's come from another planet because it works too well. It works. I still don't believe Shazam is anything other than a work of magic. There's no way you can explain how that works. Uh, and I think those those headlights are quite similar. There are there are some good ones on the market now, but the early the early efforts at those auto dimming headlights were utterly disastrous and only matched, they were only matched with one other piece of tech that was just as bad which was the the lane the the blind oh. spot warning thing which used to go off like crazy oh. and you can't both of those now seem to have been worked out by the car makers but the, yeah, i agree with you uh manage what's your experience let's just let's move to what's the nicest fancy headlight to start with nice looking one let's Thank go just making it very very easy for me well you know um <clears throat> three citroen ds and I think the the ones that swivel round, I mean, it's just it's so beautiful that just that lovely chrome barrier on that sort of slightly triangular but um, but beautifully rounded vertex. Each one, it's just it's a, it's a work of art. The front of that car is a work of art. The back of that car is a work of art. The interior of that car is a work of art. The car is a work of art. But just seeing the little inside headlights turn round corners, it's just the most most beautiful thing. Um, Number two for me, should have been number yes. one, was the Lamborghini Mura P400 with the eyelashes. I think that is just, yeah. just the most beautiful pair of eyes. And uh, don't look quite so nice when they're popped up, but look beautiful when they're flush. When they're slightly drunk. Yeah, when they're slightly drunk. Just, just beautiful. But I think the prettiest headlights for me, Alfa Romeo 33 Stradale prototype mm. in 67. Just well, big. Look what I've got bloodied written here, Manish. Oh. Right, I better, I, I'm, I'm, you carry on and talk. I'm going back to the drawing board. No, no, it's, it's, like, it's a gorgeous looking car and it's, you know, it's everything that I think we stand for. It's very light. It doesn't have too much power. Just everything about it is beautiful, but the eyes are just so beautiful. You just look at it. I, I, I fall in love with those eyes every time I see that car. Manish, that's a very timely because uh, they've literally just launched today a new Tipo 33, if you've seen I the have. photos. I have seen yeah. the photos. Yeah. 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 Um, right, I'm just in the middle of having an oh bollocks moment, so I'll find myself some new headlights thing to talk about. Um, uh, the new... The new thirty-three does look quite smart, actually. I, I don't want to know what the price is, though. I bet it's I bet it's not cheap. Are they meant price or not? I, 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 to be honest with you, nice. I literally just saw some photos fifteen minutes ago, but it looks brilliant. I think yeah. it's possibly in the millions, as Dale Boyd said. Millions, Chris Cooper's had a very busy thing, week. Though. Sorry, Chris Cooper's had a very busy week, and is and says he's unprepared. So I'm not going to put him on the spot. I'm going to ask. We can do. I'm prepared. I'm prepared for this one. Okay, good. Off you go. Go on. Okay. So I fancy headlights are usually very, very useful in a tunnel, which reminds me I made a mistake last week about tunnels. My favourite tunnel. My favourite tunnel is actually Eurotunnel. Hands up, who's driven through Eurotunnel? I don't mean on the train. I mean actually driving. From Folkestone to Calais You've in a car that. non-stop. You've done that. Oh, I've done yeah. that thing. That's like walking from uh, the satellite gates at Terminal 5 rather than taking the train. It is. It's exactly like that. There's an extra tunnel underneath, and it's uh, it's a service tunnel. And years ago, when I said on my 
consulting firm, we had a project with Eurotunnel to work out how many fire persons would it require to provide 24-7 cover from both sides? So they said, would you like to drive through a tunnel? I said, yes, please. They had an electric, po- those days, electric 106. It's so narrow in the tunnel. It's a 32-point turn. And you remember that TV series, The Bridge? The, yes. There was one about the tunnel. And in the first episode of The Tunnel... They find a body right in the middle, don't they? Well, they do. But there is, really boringly, there isn't a line. When I saw no. that, I said, aha, I know that. There is no line in the middle of a tunnel. Um, there's a little marker on the side to say you're halfway. And you think it would be straight, and it isn't. Anyway, so I thought we're, we're correcting things this week, so I forgot to say Eurotunnel. Because actually, it is really, really good when you go across, whatever it is. The tunnel below Eurotunnel. Headlights. Headlights. Right, so to, as ever, classic Cooper, you've just answered a question from last week. Yeah, okay. to be honest. Yeah. Right. Um, anything with a light pod on the bonnet. It's got to be the coolest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Those four Casey Daylighters, Sibby Oscars, that generation, I'm that old. Those four pods on the bonnet, I think they're really, really cool. Um, the trust thing's really interesting. I sort of do trust it because I like the way, I like the sense of humour of the person who designed the algorithm for how closely the little shadowed bit follows the car coming out the way. It's sort of like... I'm going to blank off the other car, but they're just going to be able to see that I'm following them. Because you see the yes. shadow following down the car, you think, that's taking the piss. The bloke who designed that is taking the piss out of the bloke coming the way, thinking, I'm that good. I'm that good. I've got a little silhouette of your car. It's not just a circle. No, it's a silhouette of your car going down. So I kind of do trust them. It the does. It's effective, very clever. Yeah, the most effective one. Remember years ago, Monkey, when the, the Mulzahn, the last great Mulzahn appeared, you borrowed one when we went to a race in Germany. And I thought it was going to scorch the tarmac. <laughs> I actually thought flames were erupting from the D, whatever it is, between Nürburg Village and, and where the Dorrit was. It was just, it turned night into day. So if we think about the most impressive advances in automotive technology, Headlights are bloody good, aren't they? I mean, they are really, really impressive. That old Defender, 25-year-old Defender, it's not that old. Jesus Christ, it's sort of, you may as well be better strapping a torch to the front. It's, so I think headlights are great. Um, but for prettiness and, wow, that's cool, not quite a headlight, but anything with a four-lamp pod on the bonnet. Who was the fast show character that used to walk around on a mall and go, that's great. You can imagine going, oh, headlights, they're great. It's great, they're great. Headlights, they're brilliant. Brilliant headlights. Brilliant, yeah. Right, uh, Edward, love it. Have another gin and tonic. What are your favourite headlights? Uh, to be honest, I'm not drinking, so actually I am now, but uh, oh, I yeah. wasn't, so don't blame it on that. I'm just in the toilet because this is where the best Wi-Fi is, or the loo, or whatever Where's you call your router? It. I think yeah, it's the loo. I think, I think we say loo. Just, it's just there. Oh, I see. <laughs> Why do you keep a fire extinguisher? in the shitter is that because things get bad yes that's a very good point i saw that and i wondered if i should make more effort to sort of style the dog room i don't think or or, or have the fire extinguisher somewhere where it might be useful so um there's a few things here one one thing that i i think we all probably like now and it's actually quite it's sort of a style thing and and most manufacturers sort of upsell you into these things and i'm sure we never make the most of them but sort of Porsche PDLS and the daytime running lights that yeah. 
you, you know, you can yeah, have all, all cars have day uh, daytime running lights now. However, you can pay Porsche another five grand to have them with sort of black rings around them and extra dynamic bits that chase you around the corner. Um, and I'm sure most people tick those boxes. Neil, are you uh, are you ticking? Well, all the boxes? I think the truth is you never understand what the hell they are. <laughs> but you still tick the box. No, no, no. I don't. I don't actually. I genuinely don't because I just think. That's a proper ripoff. The laser <laughs> ones, the laser ones, sound like they should be space weapon. They're a bit hand solo, aren't they? They're so I, so you don't have those. I, but I do like on the motorway. One thing, doing the research for this, I do realise I don't drive much in really dark conditions anymore. If you're in London, you don't notice these things. But I love in the, on the motorway, whether a car's coming from behind you or or on the other side of the road, when you can identify a car from, you know, hundreds of metres away on what its rear lights are, what its front light designs are. Oh, I think that's good. That's a good chat, that. That's another chat, love it. it don't, don't drag us off. That's another yeah, one. We're box <laughs> Um, and, and the other, obviously, we talked about S Class last week or the week before, I think it was actually. And you know, Mercedes really do lead the way in technology. And, and Audi have recently um, launched this light, it's called the Light Carpet, uh, which um, is got chevrons in the lights to show you the distance you need to be traveling at. Mm-hmm. And then Mercedes have got this new thing, which has got a million pixels in on it. And you can project writing onto the tarmac in front of you. It's is it programmable? It, it, it is. You, you literally can that? write it. Google it. You can. They've got. They were. They they parked a car in the middle of Paris, and people were walking past it, and they were doing sort of hearts on the uh, on the tarmac. It was. That's not what we'd be drawing. No, no it, it's not. <laughs> of course, it's not. Uh, but it was. It was quite impressive. And and I, I did. So obviously, those are all modern ones. But the lights on a 1930s Bentley, those huge dominating lights on the front, I just think it, the, the headlights been a key yeah. part of the design of a car almost since day one, hasn't it? Yeah, that's well, lighthouse by light headlight by Trinity House, isn't it? It's just, are, and, um, and you talk about the something that could light up the Mulsanne Strait. It is, and, and, and the, the other. The amazing thing, and Neil, I don't know if your car's got this, but the amazing thing about these cars back in the 30s is is a lot of them had the little dipping thing so you could project into the corner. So you literally you pull, yes. a, pull a little yep. lever and it, and it dips into the corner <laughs> so you could see yep. where you're going. So it wasn't yep. automated, but they had these ideas 90 years ago. Well, the the, the Bob Peterson... So mine's a bit of a, you can either call it a fake or it's a, it's a resto mod. But the Bob Peterson has a third headlamp that sat on the little windscreen. It's got a handle. Yeah, you could. So as you're, you can, you can steer yourself round the corner. It's, it's, it's so brilliant. cool. Is that yeah. not for lamping rabbits with? Yeah. Uh, probably. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Um, I've got some, some I've, I've, you've, you've all um, made me think a bit more deeply about this subject whilst you've been talking. So I've got some summary thoughts that have come to me. Um, first of all, the Tipo uh, 33 Stradale is, I think, the most beautiful headlight integration to the front of a car. I love the way it goes so low onto the front of the car. It reminds me of like Porsche 910s when you used to see Le Mans cars. And you'd think, is that bottom light actually on the ground? Um, 
Uh, I also think the Porsche 928, we've had this before, I think the Porsche 928's pop-up headlight design and just, I think it, what's, what reminds me is that actually what's behind the headlight in a pop-up design is important as what's in front and what's so gorgeous about the 928. You've got that lovely conical shape behind the headlight that you see when there yes. are, it's a, bit like, it's a bit like seeing an ass cheek from behind. You're like, oh, well, that's a bit sexy. Um, I, I, the modern headlight design is phenomenal. And it's, it's interesting that Chris uh, identified the Mulzan, which is now a car that's over a decade old and yeah. had fantastic headlights. If you drive a Mulzan now, they don't seem very good. They're not. No, and, and the, the, the progression in headlight power is is remarkable. Yeah. So it's a it's a boring denominator of progress, but it's absolutely the case. They they are modern headlights are phenomenal, and and I again to refer to what Neil and Edward were saying about ordering new cars with headlights. I did a few years ago have a new car where I ticked the sort of full MF headlight design. I thought I've never had one of those before. It was a 911 and I ticked the box for the full laser melt everyone in front of your headlights. And when I when I took the delivery of the car, I didn't really think anything of them. I just thought they were just good headlights. I got quite used to them. That car got destroyed and its replacement didn't have the fancy headlights and still doesn't. It's the yellow car that I use daily. And I miss those fancy headlights on a yeah. daily basis. Whenever I'm driving, I do a lot of driving at night and I really miss it's one of the, for me, the two things that I will spend, well, three things I'll spend money on on a, on a fancy car. One, ceramic brakes. I'll always have ceramic brakes. I know they're expensive, but I think they're brilliant. I'll always have the best hi-fi. And now I'll always have the best headlights because yeah. I think they're potential lifesavers. And they also, they make the whole experience more pleasurable to me. They do. I think it's a fault. Just a fault. There's a fault there. Go on. Go on. Seats. Seats, okay, yeah, but seats are seats are sort of pertinent to shape, aren't they? Whereas I think the others, I, I, yes. I just you have the yeah. best you can. Sorry, Miss C, you saying there is a that this sort of progression of expectation. Um, those anybody who's had who's watched a twenty four hour race or raced in a twenty four hour race, it does get dark. Amazing enough, at some point in the race, a few years ago, not many years ago, there was almost pick at the Nurburgring twenty four hours. There was almost this perverse machismo to say oh we haven't bought extra lights on our car if our drivers mm. aren't good enough to drive they should know where the track goes we'll just get a faster driver and i always thought that's bollocks mm. just make it easier and make it more comfortable and now at le mans mm. they've all got these led stuff and you know everybody now in 20 in pr proper professional racing has got we used to get laughed at when we had a big light pod on the front of the car or the drag of that at night but yeah can see where I'm bloody going, and, I, and it just make it's less fatiguing. So I think that expectation of it's not meant to be hard; it's meant to be easier. So good lights. Oh, my no, uh, point on this is that I mean I've got I had anti-reflective sort of you know lenses put in that they're, they're, they're very slightly yellow actually because they're yeah. better for driving at night. I've just found since we've had LEDs though. If you're on the wrong end of that, I mean that really you are your retina is being blasted yeah. by I don't know. 10 gigawatts of light. It's not very nice. It's really not very nice. But, they, but they've definitely perfected the lens effect for oncoming cars, so it's less jarring than it was. The, sure. first, the first Xenons, as they called them, Mercedes yeah. C-Class had them, and, and they were just so blue and bright, they were hideous. But I'll give it's you two examples of why, two examples of, of old and new headlights before Edward says something. Um, I, I was lucky enough to race a D-Type at Classic Le Mans many years ago, uh, and it, and one of the sessions was in the middle of the night and it was raining. And I tell you, a D-type down the Mulzana, a, over <laughs> a buck 70 on original headlights in the spray, 
that that reminds yeah. you of how far things have come. It was just guesswork. Yeah. I had um, I had a camera on the car, and it might it just looked like it was one of those postcards from the nineties that said Nuki at night. You know, when it was just a black postcard, I couldn't <laughs> see a fecking thing. <laughs> the flip side is I, went, I did a night stage on uh, I think it was Woodpecker stages in a Woodpecker or North, North Wales or something in a Toyota rally car that had a full light bar on the roof. We were allowed to run a full LED yeah. light bar on the roof. It, it was like being in daylight. Yeah. It was it was so powerful, it created shadow issues through the trees and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, I'm in agreement. Sorry, I, but I didn't mean to talk over you. I just haven't finished. There we are, carry on. No, I was going to say, it's very important when specking a new car. And if you get in your time machine, you go back to the 1960s and you're specking your... 250 short wheelbase California Spider, and you can either have open headlights or closed headlights. Yes, ticking yes. the right box may have made you an, an additional five million dollars yeah. a few <laughs> years later. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. when you're choosing your Porsche headlights, it might yeah. only be 1500 pounds more, but it now, might cost you a lot in the future. Exactly, this <laughs> is essential advice. Now, we're going to move on to what could be a harsh subject. I hope we're going to be kind to the cars that we're going to talk about and the designers that we might get mentioned here. What is the ugliest <laughs> wheel design? I, don't, I mean, it could be alloy wheel design, but I think it's generally wheel design. We're probably going to end up in the area of alloy. Um, Chris Cooper, have you thought about this? Have you had time yes, to think about this? I have thought about it. And I was, I, I'm, assu- I'm, I'm kind of assuming it must be Jerry McGovern's fault. <laughs> probably. It probably is. <laughs> probably. Um... There was something I've circulated, we'll put it up on the screen, something I've circulated earlier, the MST, Motorsport Technology Tools, amazing outfit in Wales. They've done these beautiful Mark I and Mark II's escort replicas. Amazing. And some people have seen they've done this Metro 6R4. And they showed it today. I think it's at um, Salon Privé. The wheels are horrific. I mean, really, really horrific. I mean, just awful. But that's not my choice. My choice, my choice is Audi. What the fecking feck has Audi done to wheels? I mean, a few years ago, I think all Audi, I mean, RS6, I guess, is my sort of like benchmark case study. Six, seven years ago, I had an RS6, and it was, it was, it was obviously an RS6. It was a nice car, but it was relatively understated. The wheels look nice. Now, now, you wouldn't go out in daylight, even if you did have wonderful headlights, which they do. They're just... It's a triumph of form over function. Good alloy wheels. We talked about this months ago. Neil, you chose the look of the rear wheel and the rear wheel arch in a 205 GTI 1.9. I chose the mini light in various forms. And what links both of those is they reek and speak of function. They look like what you'd hope they'd look like given the job they've got to do. They look great, but they look great because they're doing a really important job and somebody's thought about it. Now, Audi alloy wheels, on. there's not one bit of an RS6, most importantly the wheel, that I just think they're, they're just preposterously, pointlessly ugly. And I don't think it's just because people have run out of ideas. 992 Turbo S Porsche. Chris, we've had this conversation. When I need your input, I'll point to that little square over there. In fact... I'm, Are we all in the same squares on our own screen? I don't know. <laughs> has your and has your sitting room got 
bigger, Chris? Or have... Oh, no. I've just changed the angle a bit because it's such a shithole over there that I don't want you oh, to right, see that okay. background. I thought that's maybe all. you got smaller. Yeah. No, I have got smaller. That's okay. fine. Carry okay. on, Mr. C. Anyway. You were talking about so, something. Um, I think it's that triumph of form over function. So I'm sure it is possible to blame Mr. Go. You know, he's clearly a very, very able, capable guy. And a lot of people asked me about last week and we had a go at him. He said, it's because we think it's wrong to say there's no equity. It's clearly there's equity in it. It's preposterous to say. So the ugliest alloy wheels, apart from all alloy wheels that are painted black. Yep. I mean, oh, that's, that's a good point. Why yep. alloy? They just disappear into the car. Audi, I do think. Come okay. on. You can good. do better. You will do better. You must do better. Neil Clifford, what's the ugliest alloy wheel? And and the, the key here is to give us one. Not not like Mr. C did there, give us seven. Give us one. It's I always do. Uh, I always do one, oh, no. as you know. Oh, no. Now, this no, is, see, if, see if you can guess the car. This was a car that came out in 1980. So hmm. it really was at the beginning of my peak love of car. This was a car that replaced it's French. It's the French car, 1980. And Did it was a very, it's a very, very modern. Citroen CX. No, very, very modern interpretation of what was a beautiful classic. So it was a completely different. It was like, it was like Sierra from Cortina. Alpine A1 something. It's a no. Citroen. It is a Citroen. It's got to be a Citroen. No, not a Citroen. So um, it begins with R, French, and Rover, Renault, <laughs> Renault. So <laughs> I, I adored the Renault 15, and I adored the Renault 17. In fact, it was the first car that I experienced electric windows in the Renault 17. Renault Fuego and those Fuego. Wow. Fuego. Well done, man. Okay. Thank you. Now. I instantly dislike this wheel from the moment I, I saw it. I know the one you mean, and I still absolutely despise it because it's just trying too hard to be space age 1999 cool french thing and i've got a picture of it just to show oh, how bad yes. this wheel is yes look at that that can you see that is yeah. that writing in the middle what what are the two black stripes god only knows that's two black stripes it's the only thing that this wheel Contains. I don't, I don't no, mind. I don't mind no, that will. I don't no, mind. It. <laughs> no, you know, I I, I struggle. So I struggle bad. With, I, I struggle. I struggle with hate. You know, I, I I don't like to think of bad things and horrible things. But this wheel, I, the minute I saw it, I've disliked it ever since, and that's probably what forty years. Yeah. So well, sitting down for the weekly therapist session and going right. <laughs> so that we're talking about today. Your family? No, the alloy wheel on the Renault Fuego. <laughs> it's been growing a pustule for forty years. Fortunately, you, fortunately, toe. you never see a Renault Fuego anymore, do you? Unless you go to Lille or somewhere where there's still a farmer with one or something. I think you said you said Neil, you you don't like the word hate, which is a bit, I can't remember what we actually wrote this in a WhatsApp. I'm pretty sure we didn't put the word hate in there because hate it's is a very strong word. Ugly. Worst. Worst. Uh, Worst. Uh, uh, ugly, I think we ugly. put. Um, yeah, can yeah. I go now, Chris? Yes, you can, Edward. You're <laughs> chomping at the bit. Go on then. But I'm, not, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Toilet don't... seat. What's the worst other will? <laughs> this is a good one, by the way, and I, and none of you 
have clearly done your research properly. I bet you I've got the same one written down. Ford <laughs> Ka. Ooh, oh, that's good. That's so, good. Yeah. So Ford Ka did that a teddy bear. Uh, did a teddy bear wheel. <laughs> no, 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 no. You've got that wrong. You conflated two cars. That was the Ronald teddy bear wheel that you could get on a, on a VW Polo. It was not on the Ford Ka. It is. Well, are you are you 100% sure? On my research, it was on a Ford <laughs> Ka. But anyway, it's the teddy bear wheel. That... That for me, mm. one one thing that is interesting is that it probably similar to the headlights. When you go looking for things, and you've said to yourself, right, I want to find a wheel I don't like the design of. I actually found it very difficult. Even wheels that I didn't like five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago, they actually look quite good on those cars yeah. yep. today. And even Chris and I saying that about the Renault Neil, like. Actually, in context, that kind of looks quite cool. Um, no. But th- th- there's one other wheel which is quite controversial. When when they launched the prototype photos of the Porsche Taycan with the, I think they were black. Yes. With the white e. with the white rims around. Mission them. E wheels. No, no, no. Is it was a, no a Taycan? It was a Taycan. Yeah, it so was. It was a Mission E wheel. A white, Taycan. Yeah. A white car. Uh, with yeah, I know. Black, yeah, black centers and white yeah. rims around the it, it kind of looked, they looked pretty cool in those prototype photos. Yeah. But the actual execution of the production car, because I don't know if you can even get them in white. I think they're just silver on the outside, but black. You can, you can have you can the white bit in the body color or white. Yeah, but the, the ones I've seen on them, they look de- in, in reality in yeah. everyday life. I think I they can look, wheel I think they look terrible, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is a shit that. wheel. Yeah, that is yeah. a good one. That's a very shit wheel. Shit wheel. Shouldn't be. But Manish, what, what would you like to say on this subject? Um, I've already found a rather beautiful pair of eyes for an Alfa Romeo, but I think Alfa Romeo also make one of the ugliest modern wheels, and that's the 4C with the 10 spokes. I think they yes. look horrible. You've got yeah. five spokes with a very slight curve in them, like, you know, modern turboprops. Mm. And then you've got five shadow spokes behind them. And I think there's... There is a thing, isn't there, about wheels where five is the kind of perfect number. We we talked about it before, those beautiful Lamborghini wheels with exactly five holes carved out of them, Ferraris with their five spokes. But putting 10 in and pretending to hide five of them, what is the point of that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is yeah. the exact point of that? I just said they're, they're the worst. And just a, a close runner-up for me, is that absolutely awful Tesla truck. Have you seen the, it's got septagonal black hubs yeah. on it. It's just ugly as shit. We need to go and drive one of these trucks, Chris. Also, first use of the word septagonal or whatever, whatever Manish just said on, on the podcast. Lovely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. I think all of you have done a great job there, you've, but you've missed the two obvious ones and you've missed the yeah. absolute winner. And I'm really surprised actually that Neil Clifford didn't get this. Okay. The you 19... did say he was only allowed one wheel. You didn't. The 1995 Ferrari F512M with that with that sort of throwing dart oh center God, to yes. it, which is one of yeah. which is one of the the biggest aberrations of a Ferrari wheel ever. It just looks yeah. wrong, and it comes immediately after the 512TR, which has one of the most beautifully simple alloy wheels ever made. So I think the, for me, the F512M is the one. I just, it's an inexplicable piece of wheel design. It looks aftermarket. Feels like it was put on by someone that was pissed. However, I saw it a car. It also looks like one of those karate 
It does. Yeah, it's like a throwing star yeah, thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I think any alloy wheel actually that has a spoke that tries to give an impression of speed while stationary looks shit <laughs> yeah. by definition. Yeah, that's right. A good rule of thumb. Um, and I and I saw one the other day whilst filming that 911K film up in the middle of Wales. And actually, it's a car that I I have a soft spot for because I think they were quite cool, but. They're an unfortunate combination of a wheel that's too small. And, and you can have a nice design wheel, but if it's just swamped by bulbous bodywork, and there's there's a point in time when that happened in the 90s, the it looks a bit wrong. And it is, I hate to say it, the Fiat Coupe 16 valve. Yeah. I, yeah. I saw one up on the up on the moors, and I just thought, Jesus Christ, that looks horrific. I'm not going to show you a picture of said vehicle and its wheel. And I think, yeah. like me, you will go, what I happened? I know the wheel. Look at those. Yeah. Look at those. They're, they're, they're doing the, trying to give us speed while stationary. They're totally lost in the bodywork. Yeah. yeah. There's about it's quite a cool car, that, though, isn't it? That, that's it's quite a great a car. Cool. It's particularly the 20-valve, the five-cylinder one, was a great car. But I it think, because I'm, I'm judge, juror, and executioner here, I'm going to say... Four spokes don't work. They just don't work. Four spokes. More than four. Work. That's eight spokes on that. Yeah, well, but, uh, but but um, what were those two doubles you get for minis that had four spokes? They were quite cool. What were they? Well, called? it had well the, the RS alloys on Mark II escorts. And yeah, stuff they worked. Like that. Yeah, they, that worked as a four spoke. Yes. Um, yeah. Now but, um, we, we, not, we didn't talk about you. You introduced me to uh, these, uh, Chris, when we talked about when the um, I think it was the four eight eight, wasn't it? When they bought the chocolate teapots. Which are the carbon fiber wheels, which can't oh. be repaired. You know, yeah. ten grand a set, and you curb one, and that's it. That's it. I don't think take up's been very high on those, has it? But I don't then, to be honest with you, they're not. They're not ugly. They're just impractical. Yeah, yeah they're, they're not ugly. Uh, right now, we're going to do. Let's have a little chat about F one. Um, we, we've we've come under some some heat, some fire. The people yeah, say yeah. that our F one chat should end, uh, which for me is a really good reason to continue having the F one chat. Uh, because um, who gives a shit? We want to talk about it. This is just you're, you're just privy to us having a chat in the pub at the moment. Uh, Zandvoort. Yeah. So uh, that was a it was a very interesting race. It had all all of the ingredients of a classic. It had raid interruptions, and yet Max still won it. And was yeah. there ever any doubt that he was going to win it, Chris Cooper? No, not really. Um... A number of things to pick out of that. It, the start of the race was quite interesting, and it does show it's much more interesting when it starts dry and goes wet, rather than starts wet and goes dry. Um, but by the way, Manish's uh, camera has just frozen in the most fantastic. Oh, he's there. He's there. He's there. Oh, your camera froze, and, and you were in the most perfect position. Going, <laughs> <laughs> he's gone again. He's gone again. <laughs> <laughs> Virgin Media. Yeah. That's it. Virgin Media. So that was so good. I've said it now. I've it's said the software. It. It's the software running Virgin Media is the software that runs the magic special headlight dipping thing. Um, so racing in the wet, um, it sort of feels like that's going to be in the past. Uh, Ocon and a number of others said the wets aren't good for anything. If, if it's wet enough for wet, we'll red flag it. There's a number of things come together. Clearly, the wets just aren't very good. They'll last about a lap. They're just too soft. The underbody aero of the car isn't helping. It's sucking the water up. I, personally, I really... I watched this week a replay on Sky of the 2016 Brazilian Grand Prix. That was the race where Max 
first came, it was his first year. Cause he came the big slide. The big slide coming on through Young Cow, whatever it was, um, onto the straight and got it perhaps exactly sideways and then brought it back and carried on. I mean, that was that was a wet race. There were people riking and put it into the wall on the pit straight. I can't imagine, that was six, seven years ago. I can't imagine now the regulators allowing, and that's really sad. So I think we've lost something there. I just think, you know, Max is great. I mean, he was what a second and a bit ahead of Paris and Quali. He he's bloody bloody good. He's at the top of his he's power. He's got the team behind him. Um, other thing, just before I say what they think about the weekend, other things of note in the sport. Um, I I understand. I think this week, next week, the FIA will say they have no objection to an entry from Andretti Cadillac or Renault Cadillac, whatever it is. And that's going to be interesting because both the promoter, the rights holder, Liberty, Formula One Limited, and the the regulator, the FIA, have to agree, otherwise the team doesn't get in. Um, It's hard to see the teams allowing Andretti in. The current Concord agreement, everyone probably knows what it is, it's it's the agreement between the regulator, the FIA, the promoter, and the teams as to who gets what money. That runs out end of 25, is it, Manish? Exactly. Um, And at the moment in that agreement, there is provision for another two teams, 24 cars, I think, 20 at the moment. Um, At the moment, that that agreement says a new team has to bring 200 million to avoid dilution of the funds of everybody else. That was written a million years ago. And now all the teams think, hang on, it's not 200 million. It should be 500 million or 600 million. So I think right now there's zero chance of another team joining for lots of reasons. Once the Concord gets rewritten, I suspect that 200 million will go to five or 600 million. And it's cheaper than to buy another team, which is, I guess, what everybody wanted in the first place. So interesting race while it lasted. Max is just... I mean, he's mega, isn't he? I mean, he could have all that pressure, all those people willing him. There's even a bloody, there's a compare. You see the guy with the orange suit. There's a yeah. compare, not the circuit commentator, there's a compare halfway around the circuit, whooping up the crowd. And just, and he still didn't put a foot wrong. He's bloody good. I'm going to I'm gonna say something now, because normally I leave it to the end. But um, I've, a couple of things I thought. First of all, Zandvoort as a, as a circuit, to watch Formula One on has never captivated me at all. But suddenly, some camera angles this last weekend made Mega. me think what a fantastic driver's circuit yeah. it looked. The yeah. banking. Technical. I, I really brilliant. saw the cars working. And, I, and it looked, mm. and I had a much greater impression of the physical strain they were going through as yeah. drivers. It looked like a real workout. Max Max's driving was mesmerising. Um, yes, he's, he's clearly got a vehicle that can manage slipperiness and downforce. In a, in a combination that's probably never been seen before in the sport. I mean, it's a bullet in a straight line. And then when he starts going through the twisty stuff, it looks like he's going to suck the surface of the road up. It's a remarkable thing. But, he, you know, he's, he has no rival, including his teammate. Um, and actually, those are the conditions during which, in any other dominant season, that would be the blip on the record of the yep. one that's going to win everything. And he still won it. And yep. that has to tell you something about his dominance, doesn't it? Because he, he was offered every opportunity to throw it away or have him make a mistake and he didn't and that's why the young one from AlphaTauri should also be given a massive pat on the back because I thought he was brilliant 
Liam Lawson. To, 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 to drive under those circumstances with that pressure, with that little experience of the vehicle and the track is superstar talent. I mean, that was outrageously good. Yeah. So I think the only the only thing that disappointed me was the was the actual race results. I just wish someone else had bloody won just for the stats. But actually, they weren't going to. Max was just too damn good. Manish. Um, I've noticed recently quite a few people in F1 saying, Oh, Perez isn't that bad. And Max, Matt, they must be doing something to Max's car or to Perez's car. They don't have the same car. And I think um, this race showed you the absolute difference between the two of them. Um, it, it just, Perez isn't a bad driver at all. Not at all. He's won Grand Prix. You know, he's supposed to be very good on his tyres. He's a, an all-around super competent bloke. But what you're seeing with Verstappen, for me, is the most acrobatic driver since Senna. And that's what I see him. He's doing things with the car that, that it's just acrobatic. It's the only word to describe it. He has such control over that car. He can, he can make it go in at very, very funny angles and, and just correct it. He's just at one with this, with this machine. And I, and I kind of um, agree with you. The only disappointing thing about this race is that I, I did think some of the helicopter shots made it. I think I shared it with you guys. It looked like a circuit that had been carved out of a golf course. It yeah. had that kind of quality of heather and whatever else. But a lot of sand dunes. It's yeah, a lot of sand. Exactly. So no, it was. It, it, it was a. I thought it was a pretty damn enjoyable race. I agree with you, Chris. That it looks like wet racing is going to be a thing of the dim and distant past very, very soon. Which is such a pity because Senna was such an exceptional rain driver. Schumacher was yeah. such an exceptional rain driver. And I think it's 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 going to be a pity if we don't get to see... Yeah, Lewis, in, Lewis at Fuji in 2007. Absolutely. It's when Alonso point. chucked it off every left line and sent a massive... And Lewis was just unbelievably... It just... I mean, there's, uh, to, come, to just come back to that rain driving thing, I mean, I, I got myself in a pickle when they when they cancelled that spa race and I wrote something on Twitter and everyone jumped on me. I think I wrote the old, the slightly <laughs> martimental thing was, well, you're paid to do this, you should go and do it. That was, I, I was, I, I phrased it poorly and I didn't get my mm. meaning across. My, my issue is that the, the benchmark against which people are judging what conditions you should drive in is that you should be allowed to drive absolutely flat out. And, and everyone says, well, your tyres fill up with water and you fall off. But when I've raced in the rain, I don't get to the speed at which my tyres might fill up because I know I'll fall off. Yeah. Now, and I, I think this is the problem, that every everyone is it's so competitive, this sport, that it's not acceptable to trundle around three seconds off the pace. You have to go at the same pace as everyone else. And if that means you fall off, you fall off. That That's really strange way of approaching yeah. the sport. Completely agree. Totally agree. Completely agree. Uh, but, but you know what? Um, yeah. I think when we look back on on this year, and you know, you said it, you said that at some point Max is going to stop winning, and it's almost certainly going to be a, a complete surprise as to who who comes second. It won't necessarily be Perez or Alonso, it'll be somebody. But I do wonder whether we we will look back on this year and sort of say, yes, at the time it was incredibly boring, but my God, you know, we saw someone at a peak 
that it's true. Just, you know, we we may never see this again. This sort of, you know, I, in some ways, obviously, I hope we don't. You know, I, of course, I hope Mercedes catch up next year. Of course, I hope you know Alpine find a big step. Everybody finds it, but it is just you know nine on the trot. And somebody said that if at Monza he wins, wouldn't it be beautiful if it if it was Vettel who gives him the trophy because he shares nine with Vettel if he gets ten. You know, Sebastian gives him the winner's trophy. It'll just, it'll be an amazing thing. But I do hope we look back this year and just go, hmm, I think... Is that, is that the championship this weekend, is it? Yes, it's Monza. It's Monza this weekend. Yeah, so if he wins, that's it. It's done. Oh, no, no, oh, no, 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 no. Championship, oh. no, 10 in a row. Ten oh, in sorry, a row. sorry, sorry. Ten in a row. He, he can do, he can do it in Japan, in can't he? He can complete it in Japan mathematically, can't he? Yes, I think he can, yes, to. yes. Yeah. Neil Clifford, any thoughts on the racing other than the fact that Lewis is eight yes. is looking increasingly unlikely? Yes. Um, a few things. A, it was exciting. It mm. kept your ass on the sofa for a lot longer than normal, which was which was good, wasn't it? Um, it would be great if they replaced DRS and got rid of it and just introduced rain, wouldn't it? They could Barry have lamp- to do that. He, do you remember he said yeah. he'd love to put um yeah. Sprinklers. Yeah, sprinklers. Yeah, those things. They think the things that you have up an Italian mountain where they produce the snow, but just uh, you just turn the rain on. Yeah, that would be cool because we'd all watch it every every week, wouldn't we? Um, Ferrari. I mean, it's like the Monty Python show, isn't it? Mm. Without being (laughs) that funny, they're back. That's a bit tricky. I think. As always with Italy, it's either immensely, amazingly, beautifully executed wonderfulness or a complete and utter disaster. And they're in the utter disaster moment, aren't they? They just can't do one thing right. Yeah. They've got the wrong drivers. They've got the wrong leader of the team. They're fucking everything up. It's all a mess. And someone at some point is going to press the atomic button and change the whole thing. And the other thing I was thinking is, if you interviewed Daniel Ricciardo, you just wouldn't give him a job, would you? Because he's, you know, if, if he comes up on something LinkedIn, he could do. If he come up on LinkedIn, you go, oh, that's got quite a good CV, and you got him in face to face, you'd be like, nah, not another one. <laughs> he's gonna, he's gonna, it's gonna, he's gonna fuck something up. It's gonna that LinkedIn. You know, Oh, he's, he's, he's not, he's not going to be racing for the next three races, is he? No, you no. Know, come on, I mean. I just, I, I suppose, how about a penny for thoughts for Lawson, though, as, as the as this race engineer comes on and goes, this could be a tricky opening couple of laps. He's never started a Formula 1 Grand Prix before. He's sitting in the lowest, longest, most immobile F1 car ever made. He's got a 1,000 horsepower. It's turbocharged. <laughs> he's got no traction control. I'd have just parked it and gone, fuck and he's, it. He's got a mad and- Japanese bloke for a teammate. You just go, I'd have just driven it straight on in the first corner and gone, sorry about yeah. that. I, I fell off. Now, where's the canteen? Yeah. So it was like, like, absolutely he, fair play to him. I thought it was wonderful. Yeah, right. I, I yeah. seriously, I totally agree. Anyone, any thoughts before we move on to our next subject? Alpine, um, you know, they, no. they, they've looked racy this season, so it's good good for them to have a, a decent result uh, eventually after not taking each other off the circuit. I think that circuit... Just look mega in the from the camera angles. I need, I, we need to go and mm. do a track day there. And my my boy Gasly got a podium. I love exactly, him. yeah. I and then him. um obviously for Neil, you're writing off Ferrari, but they uh, they made a big move this week. 
they have they are going to be wearing their Lamore winning race overalls and donning the yellow colour. So that is going to be their big strategic move of the season. Oh, but just see it. If they can win Le Mans in uh, red and yellow colours, then surely they can win a Grand Prix. It's all about yeah, stuff. Yeah. I thought um, I thought Gasly's the audio of Gasly's celebration in the car was almost out of control, wasn't it? He just almost just, he just this sort of shrieking guttural yeah. noise came out of the cabin. No sense of yeah. words. He was just so much relief. It was lovely. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, I'm that. not an idiot after all. Yeah. Right, here we go. So we're going to move on to, and this is a very open-ended subject, posed, I have to say, by, by Edward Lovett. What's the cheapest car to run? Uh, I, I, I don't, I mean, there's so many variables here. I don't quite know where to begin. So I'm going to pose one to start with, because as you might have seen on my social media, I'm writing a book. And earlier today, I had to ask Edward Lovett a question about the value of a car that he sold. This car was a, a McLaren F1, which I think he sold for somewhere in the region of one and a half million pounds. That car, in, that was in 2012, that car is now worth probably 20 million pounds. So I would say at the top of this particular segment, that if you were to buy that car and just run it as a daily, and maybe have seven engine replacements, 14 new interiors, eight resprays, and do a million miles in it, that's still the cheapest car you'd ever run. And I'm not sure that's beatable. So I think this but is an open-ended question, and I want to know how Ed Lovett's going to... How are you going to approach your question, Edward? Well, for the seller who's listening, uh, do feel free to send me a box of chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, so, I think we know him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so and that's so you. That's a good angle, Chris. Actually, and that that's not even is that that's not really cheap to run because the entry cost is still an awful lot of money. So I'm not. But obviously, you made a profit, so it's the opposite of cheap to run. It's very profitable to run. Um, I'm going to contradict myself here because there's a car I've been after for a while for all the reasons that it's cheap to run. And it's really interesting. And we've talked about it before. However, I found something out that makes it potentially not so cheap to run. And this is a Volkswagen XL1, which Ooh. is a hybrid, the least um, aero drag on any production car ever built, one -liter car, I believe. Correct. Full carbon fibre, 300 miles to the gallon. You know, that's Brilliant. the sort of car that should be the cheapest thing to run. But if you own one in the UK, you've got to send it to Mercedes-Benz Milton Keynes to service it. What? So Mercedes-Benz service a VW XL1? No, sorry, sorry, sorry. You've got to VW send it Milton to Keynes. VW Milton Keynes. Apologies, Christopher. Apologies. Yes, you've got to send it to Mercedes and they really have your pants <laughs> Because they've got to call, they've got to call VW for the parts to service Why it. Why do people keep sending us their cars? <laughs> um, so there's another, uh, anyway. those, there's another one of those fucking Volkswagens outside. What do they want? <laughs> you've got to, you, Who you've knows got to where Edward Lovett is? I know. Yeah, you, you, they just sent me a Tiguan as well. <laughs> so I, um, we had one on the platform the other day, <clears throat> and I, I really wanted to buy it. And I've tried a few times. And Chris, you didn't come to the dinner with uh, Mr. Tuttle when I was trying to buy another one. And uh, one of his Cypriot mates who was at the dinner decided he would sign up for the website at the, on the same night, sat at the same table for dinner <laughs> to just outbid me, to annoy me. Um, so anyway, like Chris, him. 
this was my chance. I was, was going to win this time. So, But I, I couldn't find out how much it was going to cost to service the car. I really needed to know because I didn't want to get myself in a position to buy the car to find out I've got a, you know, five grand service or something to, to pay. I still don't know how much it costs to service. What I do know now after delving into some forums that is if you want to break, if you want to change all the brakes on the XL1 and also the regenerative braking system that's fitted to it, how much do you think that might be? 30 grand. Neil? 12. 12 grand. Christopher? 56 pence. Manage? <laughs> 15,000 pounds. Chris Harris, that was a very good guess. It's £31,000. So close. The car that should be the cheapest to run, it still might be, as long as you don't need to service it or send it for a brake replacement. Holy shit. Also, what about the bodywork? I bet that fancy car, I mean, if you had a knock in one of those corners, that'd be terrible. (laughs) Right, uh, Neil Clifford, what do you think is the cheapest car to run? No, I, I, I can tell you what the cheapest car to run. I've owned two. And this, With this, different this, ones or two, this, the same no, one no, twice? No, uh, no, actually, you're you're a good question that because it's normally <laughs> it the same. It's normally the same one twice. <laughs> no, I've had I've had a yellow one and I've had a green one, and it actually it's a Japanese version of the XL One. It's the original. The Insight. It's the Honda Insight One, which yeah. you know what is a magnificent, amazing little car. Yeah. And I bought them both off eBay. And my wife is like, oh, my God, not another one of those things. But you've got this gorgeous little cloth interior. You've got a LJK set right gearbox of a little, you know, rifle bolt gearbox. You've got this cute little dash. It's as light as a feather. You go to the petrol station and it's 32 quid to fill it up. And you do 400 miles. And you've got that lovely sport of actually enjoying driving along, trying to maximise your miles per gallon. Yeah. And you can get it up to – on the A41 between um, – well, between Chris's house, the M25 and uh, the twin turn-off, you can, you can get it up to almost 80 miles per gallon, particularly when you're going down the hill. And actually, it's a beautiful little thing. You bomb along at 70 miles an hour doing 70 miles per gallon. And they're five, six grand. And I'm sure I'll be criticized with find me one for five grand because um, my prices are normally 2015 on this forum. Um, but they're five, six, seven thousand quid. And they're magic. It, they're, I remember doing a story for Autocar about what car had been sold at the greatest loss once you take into account the development cost of it. And I think the, I think the Insight won it. Yeah, I think, I think even compared to a Veyron, when when VW was losing money on Veyrons, the money they spent getting the the the, the insight right and just the quality engineering was extraordinary. It's it's really great. We should all buy one. Oh, Chris, you need to turn your light on. We can't see that. You're just showing us a blank screen there, Mister yeah. C. Which is that one, Neil? Yes, yeah. with the little spats on the back. With the, uh, yeah. the spats, are, look like spats. Cool. Yeah, very is. strange car for someone who doesn't like Japanese cars to love, or don't it's can't true, love a Japanese car. But yeah. you know. obviously, I sold yeah. it. But it <laughs> uh, right, so we've had uh, uh, managed. What would, what do you think is the cheapest car to run? So I had a little, um, had a little think about this, and I believe that I've out cheapened all of you. Okay, um, because in India, the Morris 
Oxford was rebadged the Hindustan Motors mm. Ambassador. Yep. And probably <laughs> a billion were built and they're made of sheet steel. So they're just rugged as hell, 47 horsepower. Now you could buy one. I did a bit of research. You could buy one for, now you get a, just over a hundred Indian rupees for a pound. Okay, so they were going um, at their absolute peak. The last ones were built in 2014, but they were going for between four and a half thousand and six and a half thousand pounds, 27 miles to the gallon. And now <clears throat> I'm going to back this up with some data. I have found Go Mechanic in Kalyan. And here are the service options for my Morris Oxford. Ready? Scheduled packages. Number one, basic service, 3,299 rupees. That's 33 quid for a basic service, okay? Standard service, 4,499 rupees. That's 44 quid. And you get things like, look, you get, listen to this, you get car scanning, battery, water, top up, and interior vacuuming. I'm trying not to laugh, because I don't want to be racially profiling you, but it's proving very difficult. Comprehensive service, 6,549 rupees, 65 quid, okay? Front brake pads, front brake pads. Oh, thank God you've said that, Manish, because until that point, I thought you thought it was a lap dancing bar, a massage party we're talking about. Front brake pads, 2,198 rupees, 22 quid for front brake pads, right? But the pièce de la résistance, disc turning, 799 rupees, eight quid. What? Eight quid for your disc turning. It's just, this is just brilliant. Wheel cylinder replacement, 1,200 rupees, 12 pounds. Okay, I've mute this one. I've mute the, the yeah, I, I have to say, I have to say, at the moment, Manish is winning. I think, <laughs> I think I've got a way of winning this one, but Chris Cooper, I'm going to give you a chance first. Manish, just well, make sure you don't sell, send your Morris Oxford to Mercedes-Benz and Milton Keynes, because they'll yeah, have your pants down. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because you could argue that... This is the specialism of the of the super rich or the super frugal. Everybody else, and I include myself in this, everybody else in, in between sort of thinks cars are expensive to run, either because they don't have to worry about them being expensive to run or they're not able to enjoy the fact that they can buy the latest Ferrari or Porsche GT car and sell it for a profit and cover all the costs. So it's a curiously socially polarizing question mm. um and so i've often claimed to lynn my wife that um many cars i've had have been cheap to run um sadly she, because she's been married to me actually for it's our wedding anniversary tomorrow she's in the number i can't say the number but it's tomorrow um because happy, happy wedding anniversary mrs cooper Thank you very much. Sorry um, for you. So she knows well to know that I've been fibbing when I've said these are cheap cars to run because I'm in that I'm in the squeezed middle. Yeah, right. Um, between those the most affluent and, and the most sort of needy. So I guess if one took the statistical data, you'd probably say, you know, because outside and I can't remotely uh, mimic uh, Manish's wonderful. Um, did you see that uh, Manish that? India had put a spaceship on the north or south pole of the, yep. of the moon. Mm -hmm. Do you think that was not many rupees to put that there? 
Well, they, apparently they spent they spent sixty eight million dollars on that entire venture. Billion. Exactly. I was reading that as well. Compared to NASA, it's a it's a it's pocket change compared to NASA. Million. Yeah. Really. Million. So Million. I reckon the well, front the front brake discs on that lunar landing module they're probably not that expensive at all, are they? No. I think it. I think yeah. Pylon Services probably built the thing. Yeah, I reckon they probably yeah, did. Just... Yeah. So I probably say, if I have to say statistically globally, it must be a Toyota Corolla, something like I guess something like that, or a Honda Cub or whatever it is. The world's most, you know, often, you know common vehicle. So, um, so yeah, I guess you go for Toyota Corolla. If you if you had to look at the data globally, Otherwise, I think that's a good answer. But I still, it doesn't alter my position that I think I've got this one licked. And I've, wait, I've waited for this opportunity for a long, long time. Everyone listening, because for, for for as long as I've been working, people that have owned the vehicles that I get to test have said, "Yeah, but you're a journalist. You don't have to buy them, do you?" And do you know what? I don't. So I'm telling you now about my ownership experience, in inverted commas, of, let's say, a Mercedes SLS that I drove in 2011. The, the car cost me naught pounds and naught pence because Mercedes-Benz gave it to me. When it needed a service, I gave it to Mercedes-Benz in Milton Keynes and they serviced it for me and they gave it back to me and it cost me naught pounds and naught pence. When I finished using the vehicle after 10,000 very happy miles, I gave it back to Mercedes-Benz and it cost me naught pounds and not pence. I'm telling you now, none of these costs, none of those cars cost me a penny to run. They were the cheapest cars you could possibly run. Yeah. The moment you start doing something stupid like being a civilian and buying a car, you're yeah. in the shit, lads. You really are. Yeah, that's why I you're all, I'm a motoring journalist. However, I, I, there I, is I, one. Um, do you remember what Withnail says to Marwood when they leave Uncle Monty's? Incredibly expensive for those who can't afford it, but free to those who can. There are two things to apply to that. One, when I started working at Autocar Magazine, I earned £12,000 a year. Uh, and you don't earn a lot being a motoring journalist. And therefore, you should be able to enjoy the upsides of some free motoring. And there's one brand that I think needs to be mentioned here, and it's the one that you wouldn't want to think about. Ferrari, when it introduced seven years of free servicing to its cars, that was revolutionary. Because actually, if you try and do the belts on a Testarossa or something, it's a five to ten grand job. And that was taken away by Ferrari. It was a remarkable uh, piece of sort of financial engineering, I think. So that you could argue that if, if you if you bought a Ferrari with them being so reliable, I reckon you could gamble that in the first five years, your maintenance costs would be not, they're just nothing at all, aren't they? No. Well, and they just put hundred grand on the price of the car when they did it. Yeah. Oh, God. Neil, why do you have to be so negative? The, the oh. Brits, the Brits are very well behaved, and they like to do all their services when they're recommended by the manufacturers to do their service intervals. But if you go into Europe and buy yourself a ten-year-old Ferrari that's done three thousand kilometers from you, it's probably never visited a dealer because they'll say, "Well, it says the first service is uh, one year or six thousand kilometers," and I haven't done six thousand kilometers yet, so they just yeah. don't bother sending it for a service. Edward, does yes. some Switzerland? Counters Europe in that uh, analysis. Yeah, it does. Yeah, because mm, I found yeah. that four, five, six. The uh, the drivers on the other side, and I'm umming and eyeing, and now you're saying, "Ooh, no." Well, they, to, to, it, I don't think it's a problem. They just, they, you know, to be honest with you, the it's V12 engine in a Ferrari is bulletproof anyway. There's, you know, the only problem you're going to have is warranty issues. With, I was going to say, Edwards has offered you a warranty himself. Right. <laughs> We're moving on. Just, We're moving on to the two car garage. 
Uh, oh, by the way, I won that one. So if you want the cheapest car on the planet, become a motoring journalist, get yourself a long-term vehicle, and it will cost you bugger all. Yeah. <laughs> or, or borrow one from a journalist you know. Yes, there is that. <laughs> Although I get the bills then. Here we go. This is a two-car garage proposed by Edward Lovett. <clears throat> it's summer, and travelling overseas with a family is expensive and somewhat stressful. You decided to stay in the UK and rent a mobile home, caravan, fancy pants motorhome with all slide-outs, etc. You need a practical wagon to be five up in, dogs, food, shopping and shelter from the rain when you've decided to have a day away from the caravan. You also need the perfect Cornish lane eater. Glad I said that right. Two seats, brackets, one even is fine and open. Budget is flexible, but you've agreed to keep it under £50,000 to keep the missus off your back could be the mister, um, for being cheap and not spending it on a fancy holiday. Edward, you can answer your question first. Yeah. I also just came up with the, after that one to say, you can also say what type of caravan, motorhome or, <laughs> or, or vehicle you've decided. So I'm going to start with that. And I've decided on this holiday, I'm going to rent a Earth Roma, which is one of these wild things they have in uh, in in the US. You can't get them over here. Um, these these huge trucks. Go, we'll t- put a photo up here. But Earth it's called, Roma. It's like called, a composting toilet in it or something. Is that like a Ferrari Roma or is it a different? Uh, it, it's an <laughs> Earth Roma SX Explorer. Ah. Anyway, my the, the now the Cornish country lanes. And probably no different in Devon, Neil. Um, they're quite tight, and you 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 want to be able to carry some speed whilst the car's coming towards you in the other direction without closing your eyes. So, the practical car, I think, it's got to be a Defender. Um, I think it's perfect for the dogs. It's boxy. It's narrow. You can see you can see all the corners. So I think that's the car that I would have down here um, to stick everything in. How are you mm. going to get that with your £50,000? You can't get, you can get a cheap one tender. For, look, the, don't you worry about the rules. I said fifty grand, but actually <laughs> maybe I don't feel apologetic for spending Let's the money. see, what's and, the cheapest one tender defender out there at the moment? Okay, oh, I'm t- going to... 20 model. grand. Yeah. I'm, pro- I'm, I'm probably going to have one of those at Orange Adventurer ones for sixty nine nine fifty. I, I've <laughs> put I put the budget aside. I've changed my mind. I've got okay, rid of You're also sitting on a toilet. Carry on. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> what's your What's your lane eater for want of a better phrase? Um, so <laughs> now I could have stayed within the budget here. And but, hey, why bother? No, exactly. And and I could have gone for... We'll take that from anyone but you, Cooper. Okay, carry on. I could have had an aerial atom. But to be honest with you, I don't want an aerial atom. I want a nomad down here. Because um, I want to I want to put the uh, the surfboards on the roof. I want to drive onto the beach. I want to be able no, to get... I probably want to take to some June. So I've spent 100 grand at the 50 budget. And, and I've got a nice 110 Defender and a nomad. So Neil Clifford, you, Neil Clifford, you, Cooper, you stay there for a minute. Neil Clifford, can you please drag us back into reality here? Yeah, Come please. Yeah, just weep for the economics. Right. I'm completely, I'm completely sticking to the rule. Yeah. Sure. And I always do that. And if you talk to dogs, they don't like four by fours. They like a state cars. Yep. There's more room. So I've really thought hard about what cool estate that I want and 
you can't get a cool old Volvo that's going to probably be good enough to last you, unfortunately. And they're all five grand, 960s, 940s. I even went back to the 240s, but they're all sort of shit and they're all going to break down. So what's the best estate car, really? It's a Mercedes. And then I'm like, okay, what's what's the what's even though you want a practical car, you want it to have an edge, you want it to have a coolness, you want other blokes to look at you in the petrol station and go, oh, bloody hell, I wish I had one of those. So I think I've had this car before, actually, because I'm sure Chris was at the launch of it. He's normally at the launch of everything. C55 AMG. I think it's a it's a wonderful car. I've never had one. Okay, it doesn't have car play, but what else? It, it's got a V8 AMG engine. It's not that big. The dog's happy in the back. It's got a nice noise. It's got four exhausts. So, and there's one available at Edward Hall Motors. Second uh, generation C55. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had a couple of those. Grand. The first one, the first one ceased to exist, but the second one was nice. It's a lovely car, and it's twenty-five grand all day long. They exist. I know a part of my things I lied about edition that we do in a few weeks, where I always get my prices a little, little bit incorrect. Maybe I need to add VAT. There is. I one can send you the glasses guide from the twenty-first yeah, exactly. century if that helps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I've got twenty-five grand left. And in, in Devon or Cornish roads, what you need is, is what, what do you need? You need something that's loud, that people can hear you coming the other way. And there's no better car. And I know Mr. Cooper's had this one before, but I've never had one. I've still got the itch like a sort of bad bout of eczema. A TVR Griffith. It's yeah. just, you, you as, as, a, as a 20 grand or 25 grand convertible car that's loud that people can hear you coming the other way it's gorgeous it's beautiful they've been rebuilt about 10 times by now so it's probably yeah. reliable that really good essential yeah and and it's just a gorgeous thing so i think a c55 amg and a tvr griffin i think is unbeatable none of you guys are going to beat that well, no you also stick to the rules. But props to you for sticking to the rules i mean love it's out of control here manage can you stick to the rules or not yeah i'm gonna stick to the rules i um <clears throat> You probably wouldn't buy one of these for central London because you probably couldn't insure them. We might as well leave them unlocked because they're going to get nicked. But I think in uh, the Cornish countryside, you'd be all right. It's the first time I'm going to buy one of these, but it would be a Range Rover Vogue SE V6. And uh, I found a beautiful one, 2017, 41,000 miles on it. It has everything. Um including a 105 litre fuel tank, which you probably need, silver with black leather interior, and it was 40,000 pounds. Oh, you've gone, you've spent a lot of money on one. Quite big yeah. for Cornish and Devon Lake. I'm not sure I'm going to manage it in the What's no, the no, other no, car? That's not, other my, that's not my Cornish country lane eater, okay? That's the one that goes... And glues itself to my motorhome or whatever it does. It stays parked. My, I think there are plenty of ways of eating Cornish country lanes. Plenty of ways. And I think, you know, I've I've heard about the rattling battling. And I do it in a slightly more relaxed way. And my remaining £10,000 buys me the most beautiful green. I, I wouldn't know how to describe this green other than kind of metallic and shiny and rather beautiful. But there's a Triumph TR7 convertible that i think oh. from 1980 it's green it has tan 
plastic oh. probably seats, but it's got tarps oh. in the middle of yeah. that. Two liters. Nine thousand nine hundred ninety-three pounds. One owner, Bayerledge, Bayerledge, and that is going to be my Cornish country. I quite like that. <laughs> Irony is alive and thriving on the Collecting Addicts podcast. Well, Chris cool. Cooper, see if you can talk about not munching a lane. Yeah, that's. Uh, there are no metaphors anywhere near my explanation. Good people of Britain and the realm and the world beyond. Um, so I kind of, I get what Neil's saying about an estate. I think estates are cool. I just think a C55 AMG, <laughs> bastard, mate, rah, shout, <laughs> um, might not endear you to every lame dweller in Devon and Cornwall. Uh, though it's a very, very cool choice. And I, I've never had one. I really like one. So for something that would be five up, dogs, food shopping, shelter for the range, all at the same time, I'm not mm. sure uh, the C55 could quite generously extend itself to. I found, and we have one of these. Uh, have you noticed, one. by the way, that Chris Cooper's spending a lot of time deconstructing your That's work? That's what I yeah, thought. Is, yeah. He's not rude. concentrating on his own work. He's, he's deconstructing yeah. your work. It's uh, we're waiting to criticise him. A Discovery, a 2001 Discovery 2 V8 ES green overturn. And how nice. many of those are there in the UK? There must be fewer than two. I found one. Did you? Sadly, not on the esteemed platform, which is collecting cars. Okay. Um, but I did find one. I think it's on, um, yeah, it's on uh, Auto Trader. What is this? What is this site? It's old world, old fashioned. You used to sit on the bog with it. It's nobody buys it anymore. How much is this car? Seven thousand two nine nine two nine nine five. Six thousand nine hundred ninety. They're sought after. They're heritage sought after vehicles. The other one, though, I, I have to say, I quite like. And this was on collecting cars. A nine six four cab four manual. Oh, lovely. Nine six four because it's narrow. And you so you can afford both car. of these with that budget. Thirty. It was on collecting cars. It sold yeah. in earlier this year. Yeah, seventy something thousand miles. Yeah, is it tippy? Uh, tippy. Uh, no, it's manual. No way, that's manual. You wouldn't want money. a tippy one of those. That, I bet you that's tippy. Look, I can see it's tippy from there. You can it's see not, from its it stance. says Manuel. <laughs> it says Manuel. <laughs> it's a no. That's that's a Spanish one. No, it just look, it does. Nineteen ninety, right-hand drive, marine blue, seventy thousand eight hundred sixty-eight miles. It's front PU looks apologetic. I reckon. I'm cat, sorry. That's a cat D. That one. It is. It's all wrong. This is your platform, Edward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's all wrong. It's all wrong. That one. Was He's gone so so stylishly modern. For the avoidance of doubt, classic. Cooper's gone tippy cab, and he's gone and he's gone for road girl. Look at that thing there, Manish. Thirty-seven thousand oh. seven hundred and fifty. Right, eighth of May this year. Lads, Manish, that's one. You need to get that bought. That TR seven, the lovely thing. Flying <laughs> Yeah, you've um, you've all got this wrong. So to start with, I I like the idea of the C fifty five, but the the W two o three. She likes to rust a bit, Neil, and you'll buy the seaside. Yeah. I think you've probably got yeah. six months of that before you come back to a pile of oxidised metal. Um, yeah. There won't be much left of it. Um, uh, the, the best car for five for five people and for your dog in Cornwall is the one that I've taken to the last three years to Cornwall. That's my Land Cruiser V8 diesel. It's the best beach car. I've beaten the crap out of it. And this year we didn't have it because it was being rebuilt. 
Uh, and I really did miss it. So that's the car I'd have down there. I think that's £25,000. That leaves me with 25. I don't need it all. Because my friend Tony, who's just put up with me for the last week down in Cornwall, who's... I know Tony. Tony's lovely man. Tony has a car that I should hate. I've not actually driven it. I've been driven in it by him. It's the ultimate Cornish car because it fits all the things that you've described between you. He's got a, a Mazda MX-5, not for me, but it's got a Lexus V8 in it on open pipes. Oh. Right? So you can hear it from a mile away down the lanes. It's narrow, and he's about to sell it. So well, I'm going to try and persuade him to put it on collecting cars, but that, that is the perfect Cornish sports car because it, it's, a, it's a Japanese, so it doesn't rust. Just it's got a Lexus V8 in it. It's a Lexus. The next village. It's it's a bonkers thing. It's got such short oh, gearing, and it snaps your neck. It's so fast. So there you Neil, go. Neil, we could have an MX-5 off, couldn't we? Which no, is a V8 to. engine. Oh, no, that's V8, not V6. Yeah, no, it's, it's a cool there thing. A there you go. I'm, going, I'm going double Japanese. Now, I've got to continue writing this bloody book that I haven't finished, so we're going to get on doing the music, and then I can go away and do some more work. So, um, music choices for this week. Manage what we're going for. So when I eventually do get this 456 MGT manual, and it's going to be almost certainly a very, very dark blue with some kind of tan hide inside. And I do exactly what, what Neil Clifford has said. I take my wife to Scott's and I pull up and I open the door for her and we get out. As I drive this car, there is only one piece of music I'm going to put on, and it's Dina Washington's Mad About the Boy. That is what I'm going to listen to. Lovely song. I like that. I always write these down because I want to listen to them straight away. Mad about the boy, I like that. Uh, Chris Cooper. So the Tom Cruise film about Barry Seal, you know he is? The American pilot turned CIA agent turned Pablo Escobar. American made. Brilliant film. Brilliant film. There's a bit in that which I... I like listening, it's on one of my playlist things. And when I'm in the last bit of going down to Cornwall on the Rosen Peninsula, a nice sort of windy twister, it's about 10, 12 miles the last bit. I listen, there's a bit that's played in the film where he's flying his twin-engined... I know the one you mean. Cessna, low level, and he's bringing one of the consignments in to drop out over the Everglades. And it's a track called Heading to the States by Christoph Beck. It's brilliant. Ooh. It's just a lovely... Going under the radar, nice and quick, nice and flowing. Nobody knows you there. Great driving tune. Heading to the States, Christoph Beck. Uh, Edward Lovett. Some well, I do get obsessed by music sometimes, and it and I and I have to play tracks over and over again. And last week I said Fred again. So I've delved into a world of Fred again. You're not He's, doing Fred again. I am doing Fred again. Again. He's, again. he's, <laughs> he's, he's bloody good. Um, and there's one called Clara, The Night is Dark. Um, Chris listens to that on Spotify once this uh, call ends. It's bloody brilliant. Well, I've done, I'm, I'm writing these down. Neil Clifford, what are you going for? I'm going back in my 90s zone. I was thinking this morning at four in the morning. I'm in New York, so jet lag to hell. What's really my just music that I love to drive to, love to sing to, and I couldn't think of anything better really than Morning Glory by Oasis. Mm, yeah, it's just it's it's a it's a very very yeah. powerful track, 
and you put you, you instantly reach for the window to put the windows down and turn it up every time. Um, yeah, I'm a, yeah, I'm Great a, one. a student of the '90s, so uh, I totally get it. Listen to it so many times. I'm going '80s cheese. I I am an '80s obsessive. I think when it comes down to it, I think the '80s was just the best. I love the cars. I love the music, and I love the fact that it wasn't smug with hindsight. The '80s was always doing what it wanted to do. The '80s wasn't trying to reimagine the '70s or the '60s. It was just the '80s, and I think the most '80s pop song that I just adore, and I listen to this probably once, at least once a week, is Level 42, Something About You. I just think yeah, it's an absolutely magnificent yeah. pop song. It's yeah. brilliant. And I and I always listen to it in my 80s cars. So if you've got an 80s <laughs> car, go and pop on Level yeah. 42, Something About You. Level uh, 42, kids. Yes, yes. Uh, Edward, you've got some housekeeping to say. Yeah, before just we, before we now. sign off. So... Um, it is the 30th when we're recording this. This goes live this Friday, the 1st. First. Um, we are doing a live podcast at Hampton Court this weekend, the 3rd, at midday. If you want to go, go onto the website, into events, and uh, buy a ticket from uh, the Concours d'Elegance and come join us uh, at Hampton Court. And I believe we're also going to attempt to do a podcast at 10 a.m. on the morning of the 16th. Keep your eye on the website. We're doing a big coffee run at Bista that weekend. So come along anyway. I'll certainly be there. Hopefully Chris will. And if we can do a podcast at 10 a.m. on the 16th, we will do our very best to do so. That's my housekeeping, Christopher. That's the uh, so that's the end of episode 33 of the Collecting Alex podcast brought to you by... Mike's hot honey. This wow. is super hot honey. Get some for your pizza. Mike hasn't paid me to show you that, but I do love Mike's hot honey. Uh, uh, have a great week, and um, we'll we'll look to hear from you soon.